Well, as we look at it, or Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, we're looking at four characteristics of the prayer life of the Christian. And again, this is not the four characteristics. This is four of the characteristics. There's a lot more we could talk about. But as we go through this section, there's some things I think Paul is drawing the eyes and the minds of the Colossians to that are important for us. And so I want us to share that together. It, really, the theme of this passage is that Paul's exhorting all believers to a lifestyle of alert, diligent prayer for their own righteousness, for the ministers of the gospel, for the proclamation of the gospel, and for each believer's witness to outsiders, both in conduct and speech. And that's kind of wordy, uh, but it is uh, important that we... Uh, see what Paul is trying to teach us, and I feel like that encapsulates it. So as we go, I'm going to start with reading through the passage so that we can kind of get the flow, and then we'll go into it. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have, been, I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person." And we are now on a black screen, so you're going to get to look at your notes and not the screen. So these four characteristics, as we look at this, Paul is, is first of all going to tell us that Christians, and this should be no surprise, Christians should pray devotedly with alertness and thanksgiving, and that's what he says. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. You know, one of the great things about uh, our Lord is that He hears prayer. You know, that was one of the most encouraging things as I studied through this, and, and again, there's a lot that I studied that we're not going to go through together, but there are so many times in Scriptures that God says, I hear you when you call. I hear you when you call to me, and so I thought that's a foundational truth I want us to understand is that we are heard by our Lord when we pray. Psalm 55, 16 and 17 says, as for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and He will hear my voice. And so we have there this picture of that we are calling on the Lord, that we're calling on Him throughout the day, right? All day. He's not just saying three times a day. He's saying throughout the day, I'm going to give him my complaints. I'm going to give him things. The murmur is the idea of I don't even know what to say, but I'm just going to pour out my heart to the Lord and he will hear my voice. And so uh, that was one of the more encouraging things is just knowing that God hears us. God hears us when we pray. And so we should pray. Uh, in fact, the word devote that is in the NASB is, is the word continue. It's an active verb. It's something that we should be continually doing. The, the Greek ver verb says to be earnest towards, to persevere, 
to be constantly diligent, right? I don't know how to stack this up anymore uh, as a, a teaching that we need to be praying at all times. We need to be devoted to prayer. That's uh, one of the commentators said that this devotion suggests a gritty determination not to give up until God's response comes. Okay, a gritty determination. I like that, right? I'm really easy at praying once and then not praying again, not continuing in prayer. You know, and sometimes in those difficult times when we have difficult situations with family members or health issues or things like that, suddenly we pray repeatedly, but that God wants us to pray devotedly, continuously. In fact, he taught that in Luke chapter 18. He taught about the persistence in prayer. And again, it's, it's not so much about that we just have to get the right combination of words. It's that we just need to continue to come before the Lord. In Luke 18, he says he's telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Right? So he teaches the parable, and again, it's about this, this judge and this widow who's coming to the judge and petitioning the judge, and the judge ignores her and ignores her and ignores her, and she keeps coming over and over and over and asking for help, saying, please do something. In verse 4, it says, while he was unwilling, or for a while he was unwilling, in other words, he was just kept ignoring her, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Okay? Now, what's amazing is we don't have a God that thinks about us that way. And that's what Jesus says. He says, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And the question is, are we going to be praying so that he might answer? And the idea is that God is not this unrighteous judge who doesn't care about us, who doesn't worry about us, who just answers the prayers just to get us off his back. That is not who God is. God is a compassionate, faithful God who listens to our prayers. You know, as we went, went through, as I went through um, studying this, one of the things I saw was that there's really three aspects of prayer that we're, I'm just going to mention briefly. And again, we're not going to get to go through all of this. But three aspects of, of prayer for us to consider is, is, first of all, a need for personal prayer. We should pray. Each of us should pray. Uh, this was brought to mind not only because I struggle in this area, but as you read through what we just went through in chapter 3, verse 1, through chapter 4, verse 1, where Jesus or Paul is teaching us about what does it mean to live a renewed Christian life? What does it mean to put off old habits of sin and put on new behaviors of righteousness? What does it mean to do the things that God has called us to do? Are we to, uh, if we're praying, it's because we recognize we need that. 
You know, I read back through that chapter and, and I came away thinking, you know, unless the Lord works in me, I can't have the right attitude towards others. I can't love other people the way God has called me to love them. I can't do everything I do to the glory of Jesus Christ. I, I can't, as a husband, love my wife and not be embittered by her. I can't, as a father, not exasperate my children. I can't, as a worker or as a slave, obey my master in all things with sincerity of heart. I need God's help to obey His commands. And so that, that, that flows naturally. You read that and you go, okay, Lord, I'm not doing this. Help me. Help me. These specific ways that God has already shown the behavior of a Christian changes, we all fall short of. And so we need to pray and ask the Lord to help us in that. We need to be devoted to personal prayer. But the reality is we need to be devoted to corporate prayer as well. Uh, This command is given to the Colossian church, and really, he is talking to the group as a whole. And he's saying, you as a group need to be praying for these things. And so there is a need for corporate prayer. We, We do that, obviously, in Sunday school. We pray for each other, and we pray together. We pray in the worship center together. Tonight, we'll do a lot of that, right? You may get together. I know some of you are in the prayer shop group that gets together and prays for the church and prays for the leadership. But it is important that we remember there is a need for corporate prayer, that we connect with each other through prayer as we talk to God. Uh, One of the commentators said, to be bound with persons in prayer secures a relationship, keeps it whole and growing in a way nothing else can. When I pray for another from whom I may be estranged, I cannot remain the same in my feelings and my separation from that person. When I pray for another person about whom I genuinely care, or even a person I may not know, the power of love and caring is so generated within me that it flows out into the life of the other or is passed on to the other in ways that I can't even recognize. When I pray with another, I am linked with that person in a way no other communion common experience can combine us. There is no partnership comparable to a praying partnership. We've talked, I think, in in the past, as we talked about Paul's prayer for them, that it is really impossible to pray and not have your heart go out to the people you're praying for. You know, if you hear about a need and you start praying for them, even if you don't know them, you care about them. You're concerned for them. You want to see what's happening, and is the Lord answering that prayer? And so corporate prayer is part of that, that we come together and we pray for each other. We pray for our church. We pray for others throughout the world, throughout the nation. The third thing, again, just an aspect of prayer, and and I think where Paul is primarily focusing his attention in this passage, is the need for intercessory, intercessory prayer, right? That we pray for the needs of others and we pray for the ministry of others, Specifically, in this passage, we're going to be talking about the ministry of the gospel and how important that is. So we have three aspects of prayer to consider. Again, there's not a lot that I'm going to, to go through on that, but I want to, to, to recognize that there's different aspects of prayer, different ways we pray, and we need to be aware of that. So first, Paul says that we need to be keeping alert 
or with alertness, as it says in the NASB. The, the idea is when we pray, we have to be focused. And boy, I know for my personal prayers, that's a hard thing. I struggle with that. Uh, R. Kent Hughes, one of the commentators, says, Being devoted to prayer does not mean the mind goes into devotional neutral, while an easy stream of consciousness flows between us and God. Rather, a habit of prayer demands mental alertness to the dangers of life and the needs of those around us, an awareness to the danger, uh, an awareness which can at any moment, moment launch us into fervent prayer, right? It's that watchfulness, that, that alertness that you're keeping your mind on these things and that as needs come up, as issues arise, as you hear about the needs of others or something going on in someone else's life, your response is, I need to pray about that. I need to pray about that. Uh, another commentator says, it's, it's as if prayer is always at hand, a companion standing nearby and calling for attention so that prayer becomes a recurring habit and a pattern of life. And really, this is Paul... You know, teaches this, Jesus teaches this, this need for alertness. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, which is a, a, a kind of a sister passage to this, we've, we've bounced over to Ephesians 6 quite a bit, but it says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. And so he's, he's, he's encouraging in, that, in Ephesians the same thing, this alertness, that, that our prayers need to be focused. Jesus said that we need to keep watching and praying that you might not enter into temptation, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, we even know that as Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he tell his, his disciples? His, Pray that you're, you wouldn't be weak, right? Pray that you wouldn't fall into temptation. And what did they do? They slept, right? That, that's me. I feel that, okay? That, that, that's how I, I tend to respond. You know, this, this idea of keeping alert in prayer even has a little bit of an uh, eschatological aspect to it. That means end times, right? That we're, we're, when we're told to keep alert, there's almost always a thread of realizing the end is near. And so in Mark, Jesus said, take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. Luke, he says, be alert at all times, praying that you might have the strength to escape all these things that are about to take place. And Peter said this in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. You know, I love that. You know, it, ten, it tends to be, if we think about, you know, the, the uh, anticipation of end things, we think about the, the, the end coming, you know, maybe wars, things like that. We, we, we start getting prepared. We keep alert for the news to know what's going on. Are we doing that so that we pray? The purpose of prayer that we keep alert in it is vital, vital that we don't just snooze physically as the disciples did or mentally as, as I know I am prone to do, but to keep alert and then it says with an attitude 
of thanksgiving. And again, I think part of this thanksgiving uh, is the fact that we know that God hears us. You know, it'd be one thing if we said, okay, well, I've got to figure out a way to pray so that God will hear me, right? I've got to find the right combination of words. I've got to come up with this eloquent speech. There's got to be some way I can get God's attention. You know, like we're on a, uh, the stage at a talent show and trying to win the, the audience's favor. But no, we know that God hears us. He, 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 he leans over like, come on. Tell me what you want. Tell me what's going on. I know, but tell me about it, right? This is what I want. So we can be thankful for that, but certainly there are so many things that we can be thankful for. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul is, is giving thanks to the Father for His work in salvation. He says, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So, we should absolutely always be thankful for our salvation. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, where he calls us to be thankful for the work that God's doing in sanctifying us. He says that you've been firmly rooted and are now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were, as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Again, if we look back and say, okay, Lord, where I was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago in my Christian walk, thank you for your faithfulness to get me where I am now. You know, again, many of us would look and say, it's not that I've just magically become a great person, always does exactly what God has called me to do, but I serve a great God who is faithful to continue His work of sanctification and I can be overflowing with gratitude about that. When we went through First Thessalonians, uh, we, we talked about this verse five, or chapter five, verse 18, "In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus." Imagine that. God says, "This is my will, that you would just be giving thanks to me." Right? Part of that is recognizing everything comes from Him. So everything we have is a gift of God so we can thank Him for it. Everything we experience is part of God's sovereign plan. We can give thanks for Him for that. In Hebrews 13, it, it, it's really God empowering us to give thanks and God directing, our, our direction is to God. It says, through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. I love that. Through Him, through Jesus, God, Jesus is going to empower us to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. And the reality is, is this will be going on forever and ever and ever. In Revelation 7, 12, it says, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We're going to be praising the Lord, giving Him thanks for eternity, for who He is, right? These are His, His, His wisdom and glory and power and all these things. We're going to be blessing Him, praising Him, giving Him thanks for eternity. Paul says we should start that now. 
We should be praising Him now that, that as we pray, it's, it's not just to be, Lord, help this person, help this person, help this person. Lord, help me, help me, help me. Right? But that all of our prayers should be prayed with an attitude of thanksgiving. That we recognize God's grace to us. So we're to be, first of all, as a Christian who prays, praying with alertness and an attitude of thanksgiving. Secondly, Christians pray for the ministry of the gospel. And again, we talked about this is kind of the, the intercessory part. That Paul, Paul is encouraging the believers to pray. And he says, verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well. So the idea is maybe the first verse was all about you, right? This is the things you're praying for. As you're praying together, you're praying for these things to be true in your life. And this is the attitude of it. But now you need to pray for us as well. While you're praying is really what the verb means, that, that at the same time, as, you can, as you're doing these things and you're praying, don't forget us. Pray for us. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting reflection. And again, we, there's, it's in almost every single one of Paul's epistles. But Paul prays for the church and he asks for prayer from the church, right? It's this constant back and forth. In Colossians 1.9, it says... This reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul has prayed for them. He continues to pray for them. When we studied in Thessalonians, he prayed for the Thessalonians. You study in Rome, everywhere you go, Paul prayed for his people. Paul prayed for these churches. And he says here, pray for us. Pray for the ministry of, of, of Paul. The reality is, is we should be always praying for the ministry of the gospel. Um, that's both locally, right? That's teachers and, and pastors in our local church, right? Praying for Pastor Tom, praying for Jonathan, praying for our Sunday school teachers, praying for other ministers of the gospel throughout the country, right? Praying for those that are missionaries, that are sent out. But the reality is, is we should be praying for the ministry of the gospel because it's through the gospel that God saves people, right? We know that, but do we pray for, those, for that to go forward? Do we think about that? Those that come to church, right? We've got uh, people that come for the choir concert, and it's a great outreach. It's an opportunity for them to come and say, yeah, I'll listen to some Christmas music. I like choral music. That's great. And guess what? They get solid biblical teaching to go along with it, and the Lord may use that. But we pray for the ministry of the gospel. And Paul asked for prayer multiple times. I'm going to just mention a couple of them. In Romans chapter 15, verses 30 through 32, it says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together for me in your prayers to God for me. Now, I love that. Paul's praying for himself. And he says, I just urge you, come alongside me and pray for me. I need prayer, okay? That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be proved acceptable to the saints. This is, I'm in, I'm in prison. Pray that my circumstances would change if it's the Lord's will, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Well, I know that as we pray for the ministers of the gospel, we're praying alongside them. 
Okay, we're praying with, with Tom. As Tom is praying for himself, that he would live a life that honors the Lord, that he would teach clearly the Word of God, we can pray right alongside with him as we pray for the ministers of the gospel. Paul even said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And this is when Paul's in prison an earlier time. And he recognizes, he's talking to the Philippians, he says, you know what, if, if I am released from prison, this is going to come about because of the prayers of the saints and the, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in this. In 1 Thessalonians 5.25, he's, he's a little more simple. He says, brethren, pray for us. Just think about that. Just pray for us. And sometimes he gives a lot of ex- explanation of exactly what he's praying for and what he's needing, and sometimes it's just pray for us. We should be that way as well. We should pray, first of all, that God would accomplish His plan. And that's what Paul, Paul prays here. He says that, that uh, pray for us at the same time as well, that God will open the door for the Word so that we can speak forth the mystery of Christ. He says, God has to open these doors. You know, we, we hear that terminology a lot, and really it comes from Paul. As he talked through, and multiple times he used this idea of doors being opened and closed, but it wasn't open and closed just because of the circumstances and just because that person or those people, he recognized that God was the one that opened or closed those doors. And so we need to realize that as we go through uh, praying for those that are, are, are ministering the gospel, that we're praying that God would open doors. Right? Open doors of ministry, open doors of, 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 of opportunity, but that we would be part of that alongside him. One of the commentators said, to, for Paul, prayer is not simply an act of presenting one's personal wishes and desires to God. Rather, it is a way for believers to participate in the unfolding of God's redemptive plan in history. When you think about that. We can participate in the work that God is doing as we pray. In Corinthians, he talks about the wide open door for effective service. Has, it's open for me, right? And there are many adversaries. So guess what? An open door doesn't mean easy. It just means that God is allowing that opportunity. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Boy, what a, what a prayer that we could pray for those that are ministering the gospel today. There, there is a, a need for the word of the Lord to continue to spread rapidly, just like it did to the Thessalonians. And as we studied that together, we saw how quickly they responded to the truth and how faithful they became. But we realize that that ministry, that open door for the gospel is always going to happen in the midst of perverse and evil men. There's always going to be challenges. So that we we need to pray that God would open a door. That we need to pray that they would speak forth the mystery of Christ. Again, we're not wanting these guys to preach their own message. We don't want to pray that Tom would really have a number one bestseller and everybody would acknowledge Tom as an amazing person. He is an amazing person, okay? 
But we want the, the work that we're praying for is the speaking forth of the mystery of Christ. It is the gospel itself. That's what we pray for. We pray that we, that we would see these men become a part of the work that God is doing. In Colossians 1.26, it says, That is this mystery that has been hidden from past, past ages and generation, but now has been manifested to His saints. That we have this knowledge of the gospel. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Now, understand that even as Paul is saying this, as Paul is praying for the ministry to go forth, he's in prison, right? He's been imprisoned for this very message. And he's saying, pray that I would continue to speak the message. I love that. I love that Paul is not saying, just get me out of here, right? I'm sick of this. Can, can God please get me into a different situation? No, he says, no matter what my circumstances are, pray that I would continue to speak the mysteries of Christ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's and again, it's important. And he, he asked many times for physical needs and necessities, and he's sending people, coming people. He, he, you know, he knew he was in prison, like he didn't forget but he also didn't make his own personal circumstances the primary thing he was concerned about. Oh, that the Lord would help us to not, <laughs> to be more like that, right? That our, our primary prayers are not just about circumstances and, and Lord, please change them, but Lord, help me to be faithful in the midst of that. Help me to be faithful to do what you have called me to do. In Philippians, again, as he's talking about his imprisonment, he says, My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. In other words, Paul was infamous. Everybody knew who Paul was, right? Even these pagan Roman soldiers knew Paul. And he says, And most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And Paul says, Praise God. Praise God that people are being bold even though they see me in prison, even though they see me in change. They're not stepping away. They're continuing to teach the Word of God. In fact, in 2 Timothy 2.9, which is Paul's, I think, very last letter, it says, I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the Word of God is not imprisoned. He recognized that the message of the gospel, the message of the Word of God can never be imprisoned, and that as we go forward as Christians, we need to pray that God would continue that work. There are still unreached people in South Lake, Texas, in Dallas-Fort Worth, right, in the United States, and in every country throughout the world, there are people that need to hear the gospel, and we need to pray that those that we know, right, missionaries, pastors, preachers, teachers, would have a part to play in that, that they would be able to teach the mysteries of God. And that not only that, that, that we would see, obviously, that God would accomplish His plan, but that the minister of the gospel would be clear in their proclamation. 
that it would be clear, that's what Paul says in verse 4, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. You know, you think about that. I mean, if, if we were going to get all together and say, okay, who's got the best ability to, to teach on the mysteries of Christ, okay? I'm going to take a quick straw poll, okay? You know, go Mike, Milt, Jordan, or Paul, okay? I'm going to put my vote with Paul, okay? I'm not even thinking about any of us. But here's Paul saying, I need to be clear. Pray that I would be clear in the way I need to speak. He recognized that he's not there because he's got all the, the, the eloquence of speech on his own, but it's God's work through him that happens. Paul says, the way I ought to speak, in 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. And so Paul is saying, I, I have to realize that it's not anything that I do. It's the work of God through me. And so he had that, that mindset, and he's asking for people to pray for him that the Lord would help use his mouth to make it clear, that he would speak the way he ought to speak. There's another aspect to this, as, as the commentators were pointing out, that there's a certain amount of this is, is about humility, and a certain amount of this is about making sure that the message is not about the messenger. And I think that was something that Paul was, was aware of and recognized, but he constantly fought against. That the message of, of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, is not about Paul. It's about Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7, uh, 14 through 17, it says, But thanks be to God, who always leads, leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To, one the, uh, uh, to the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the Word of God, but as from sincerity... But as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. And he's saying, we're going out and we're teaching this message and some are going to think it smells wonderful and respond to it and some are going to think it smells horrible and reject it. But it is all because of God working through our words. As, as Christians, as faithful Christians, we need to be praying for the clear proclamation of the gospel. We need to pray for the ministry of the gospel. We need to be praying for those that minister the word of God. So we've seen that, that we're to be devoted to prayer with alertness and thanksgiving. We, we need to be praying for the ministry of the gospel. Thirdly, we, we look at that Christians should pray for their conduct towards unbelievers. Now, there's some questions here as to whether this is a... a a separate imperative, a separate command, or if this is a 
uh, a continuation of the, the request for prayer, or the things that we should pray for, okay? And there, there's been some notes on either side, and honestly, I could see either way, right? Certainly, there is a command, we could point to many other scriptures that would teach us that we need to be doing these things as Christians. And so there's no doubt that these are things that we can't say, oh, well, I think that was just a suggestion. I don't think God really is demanding that of us. He, he's not really forcing us to do this. It's, it's okay if I don't. Like, there's no way we can say that because it's clearly commanded throughout Scripture. But in this current context, I feel like this would be an absolute clear thing that we should be praying for these things as well. Again, we can, we can be commanded to love, as a husband, I can be commanded to love my wife. Boy, I can't do that on my own. I need God's help and I should be praying about that. There is a command to be hardworking and diligent and, and to work and do all things to the glory of God. And that is a command and so I need to do it. But guess what? I should be praying for that as well because I need God's help to obey that command. And so I think that it's clear to me that this could be part of that prayer request. This list is growing. As Paul says, you need to be devoted to prayer. Uh, if you don't think so, read the last chapter again. You need to be devoted to prayer because you've got be, to be doing these things that God has called you to do. As you're praying, pray for me as well. Pray for my ministry. Pray for the, the gospel that it would go forth, that I would speak clearly the word of God. And then, hey, while you're doing that, don't forget you have a responsibility to be ministers of the gospel. You have a responsibility to those that are outside the faith and that you need to be conducting yourself in such a way that you're making others think about the things of God. And so I think that this is something that could be our prayer list and our, our action items, <laughs> right? We need to be doing that, but we need to as Paul says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders. This, this idea, this conduct yourselves, again, is an active verb. Continually be conducting yourselves. Make this your habit. It's the same word that in other places is the walk, right? Your walk of life, the path of life you go down, as you're doing that, you need to be living in such a way that you live with wisdom towards outsiders. The reality is, is this, this, uh, this command, this idea has already been applied to believers earlier in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, "...let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and admonishment." Uh, are, um, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So this, this picture of this should be happening in the body of believers, right? In the fellowship of the believers, you should be building each other up, encouraging each other, admonishing each other, praising God together, right? That this is a way of life amongst the church, but Paul wasn't, you know, isolationist in the sense of, okay, well, it's the church, and if you're not part of the church, we don't have anything to do with you. No, Paul says we need to be thinking about how do we act towards outsiders? How do we act towards those that are not in the faith? The reality of how we act, especially how we act with 
wisdom is vital to our testimony. It's vital to how we minister as believers to a world that's lost and needs the gospel. Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And I don't know exactly what that means, other than I know it means you need to have wisdom. As you go out in the midst of an unbelieving world, in the midst of, in midst of people that are enemies of God and enemies of the gospel, you're going to need wisdom. And as we go through our days, we need that as well. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, Paul says, Therefore, be careful how you walk. That's that same word. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The reality is we need wisdom. I need wisdom. And the, the, the other reality is I don't have it, right? If I needed it and I had it, then I would already have it. But no, I need it, and it comes from God. In James 1.5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. The reality is we need to be conducting ourselves with wisdom. And he says specifically to outsiders, we have a ministry. We have an obligation to those that are not believers, right? It's not just one of those things, oh, well, that's what Tom does. All I've got to do is pray that Tom's message would somehow penetrate my neighbor's heart. Well, that's going to be awfully hard if they're not here to hear Tom's message or you don't send them the link to Tom's message or you don't talk to them about Tom's message. But ultimately, it's not about Tom's message. It's about the Word of God. And so you need to be aware of and desiring to minister to those that are outside the faith. In 1 Thessalonians 4.12 Paul says that he, he says that you need to behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. And then there he's talking about a testimony of being diligent at work. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when I worked uh, in business, I was in business-to-business -business sales for about 10 years or so. Uh, there'd be these times where people would ask me questions. And I had a couple of times people would say, you know, something's different about you, like the way you handle things, like when, when things go wrong, when your boss changes the, 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 the expectations or whatever, something's different. And I would have opportunities to share with them what I believed. The worst thing ever, and I, I, I say this to my shame, the worst thing ever is when I had one person be like, oh, I had no idea you were a Christian. Ooh. Boy, I was not conducting myself with wisdom towards outsiders in that case. And that was, that was a gut punch. But that we should be living in such a way that they say there's something different. Right? That's what Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Let, uh, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify God. But the reality is, is that we need to be aware of that. In 1 Timothy 3, 7, it says, uh, as he's talking about the, the expectations for leaders within the church, and I love this, 
the leaders of the church, the leaders that, that are going to be elders and deacons, must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Right? They, they, people even that aren't believers should be able to say, that guy does good work. Right? He's honest. He's never told me a lie. He's always given me back my tool that he borrowed. You know, he's whatever it is, this is someone who acts appropriately. The reality is, is that we have this commandment to be minister of the gospel. And he puts this point in here about redeeming the time, making the most of the opportunity. Again, there's a, there's a little bit of an eschatological idea here, realizing we don't have forever to make this opportunity. We don't have unlimited amount of time to talk to the unbelievers around us. We need to make the most of the opportunities we have. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Uh, Ephesians 5 16 says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Realizing that, that it's bad out there. And we might not always have this. But it's this active anticipation that is to be characterizing how we live. An active uh, anticipation. You know, we have right now in our, our family, I can say this because I don't think she's going to hear. Okay. My oldest son is about to get engaged. Okay. And his, his future wife knows it. They've talked about it. They know it's going to happen, but she doesn't know when. Right? So imagine, I, as I read through this and as I was studying, I kept thinking about her, where every time they get together, right, oh, let's go out and get an in and out, right? Is this going to be the time that he finally asks the question, right? Is this, is this it? There's, there's this anticipation that, that she's got, that she knows it's coming, and, and it, it's just that leaning forward, that crane of attention, right? She's kept alert, right? She's not going to go, oh, okay, let's go hang out, whatever, right? I, I just, I thought, wow, what a picture for how we should be looking for those opportunities, right? One of the commentators said, says, we need to be alive to every opportunity to witness in the chance encounter, the unexpected turn in conversation, the opening that comes in the expression of a need or an asking of a question, the signal given by what may appear casual but reflects something deeper, the unplanned incident that brings the outsider into our life in a way that mind and heart can meet. We are to seize the critical moment when it comes. And reality is, guys, if we're not praying for those opportunities, we're not going to see it. We're going to be going, as it says, as we lay our head down on the pillow, oh, wait, that guy at work was telling me how hard his life is and what's going on with his family, and I didn't say anything about the gospel. Oh, I've missed that opportunity. But if I've been praying for opportunities, I've been praying for the Lord to open my heart, to see those needs, then those, those, those chances that come up that I didn't even think about at the beginning of the day, I'm going to be ready for. I may be anticipating, right? There's, there's, again, that alertness. I know the Lord's going to bring opportunities because he's, that's how He works. And I just need to be ready for it when they come. I need to be ready for it. And that's, that's conducting myself with wisdom, 
That I'm, I'm thinking about things in such a God-saturated way that when I see someone, I see them through the eyes of, of God. And I want to minister the, to them. Well, we've talked about our need to keep alert in prayer, to be devoted to it and with alertness and thanksgiving. We've, we've talked about that we need to pray for the ministry of the gospel, those that are ministers of the gospel, that, they would, that God would accomplish His plan and that, that the ministers would be clear. We've talked about that we need to pray about our conduct, our walk before unbelievers. Finally, we need to pray for our speech towards unbelievers. Right? Paul gets into the nitty-gritty. You know, he doesn't just say, hey, if you act the right way, they'll just come begging you. Please tell me about the gospel. Okay? That sometimes might happen, but probably not. Because our life, our testimony is not just them seeing us move through life. It is also how we speak. How we speak to them. The things we say and how we say it. And so he, we need to pray for our speech towards unbelievers. He says, let your speech, verse 6, always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Now, it shouldn't be a huge surprise, but I probably could have filled up all four pages of your notes with references just to what God has to say about how we use our tongues. And there is a ton. You need to understand, and I think you do, but I want you to understand and be reminded that God has very clear expectations about what we talk about, about how we talk about, what we say about others. And this is just a small, small part of it, but that our tongues are vital in part because they reflect what's in our heart. Right? And Jesus said, it's not, it's not what you take in. It's not the food that you eat that defiles you because it goes in your body and comes back out later. Right? But it's what comes out of your mouth because it comes from your heart. That's what defiles a man. If those things that come out of your mouth, whether that's at church, hopefully not, or at work, or with a neighbor, or at the ball game, or wherever it is, if those things are defiled, you have a problem. And James, the, the book of James deals with the tongue quite a bit, um, and I think, Lord willing, we'll get to, to that at some point. But I want to just point out a couple of, of, of opportunities that the, the God has given us as verses, maybe that you need to write on a little post-it note or a three-by-five card and stick somewhere that you can see it. I know I do. First Chronicles 16, 24 says, Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among the peoples. That, that should be our, our desire, that we're speaking of God, that as we talk to people, God comes up and the, the, the glory of God and His deeds, both in our lives and in others, we are telling them. Psalm 71, 15 through 18 says, My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, for I do not know the sum of them. And I love that. I'm going to talk about something and I haven't even fully seen all there is to see about it but I'm going to keep talking about it. I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and I shall still declare your wondrous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, O oh God, do not forsake me. 
until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. And boy, this is a lifelong thing that we would pray and praise the Lord and tell others about it. In Proverbs, which also has a lot to say about the mouth, it says, the wise in heart will be called understanding and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Understanding is a fountain of life to one who has it, but the discipline of fools is folly. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And again, I know there's times that we need to confront sin in the lives of unbelievers around us, and we might not be always speaking what would be called honeycombs or sweet words, but I do think that our, the, the general tone of our communication with unbelievers should be gracious. That's what Paul says, right? That, that, that as we speak, their seas are there, let their speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that there's a, there's a seasoning to it. And, and again, salt, we could do a whole lesson just on what, what does it mean to live as salt in the world. But one of the commentators pointed out that salt prevents corruption, right? Salt was used as a preservative for meat and things like that. So that this, is, this is the idea that we're going to be out there preserving the world, preserving those from the, the results of their own sin. I like what Hughes said, though. It's seasoned with salt. It's salty. It's savory. It's scintillating. Not the dull, sanctimonious vocabulary that seems to be demanded in some church circles. It is thoughtful speech, words with content. It is joyful, even witty, for this is what salty speech meant in classical Greek. The idea is as we're talking to people, we don't need to go into church ease, okay? We just need to talk to them about the things of God and, and that we're using it in a way that, that's, that's pleasant, right? That, that's flavorful. And then, I love this. Paul says, so that you may know how to respond to each person. You know, it's so easy sometimes to think about unbelievers. This banner of people that just don't know the Lord. What Paul says now is, you need to pray that you would speak words seasoned with salt to that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. And so each and every unbeliever that Paul or that God puts in your life, that you would be praying for opportunities to speak to them the truth. That it's not just those people, but it's each individual person that God has called you to. You know, I pray that, that this has been helpful for you. It was helpful for me. There's a lot here, and again, we didn't even go into everything that could be said. But I do pray that, that we would be challenged to live out, at least start living out these four characteristics. That we would pray devotedly continually with alertness and thanksgiving, that we would pray for the ministry of the gospel, for those that are speaking and preaching the gospel, that we would pray for our own conduct towards an unbelieving world, and that we would pray for our speech 
towards unbelievers. Not just those unbelievers, but each and every person that God puts in our path in our lives. Let's pray together now. Lord, we do just thank you so much for your word. There's so much here that's just wonderful instruction for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pursue you. Lord, to be praying continually. Lord, that we would be alert and and thankful for it, but Lord, that we would pray to you knowing that you hear, knowing that you desire it, Lord, knowing that you've commanded it. Lord, we do pray for the ministers of the gospel, Lord, uh, like Pastor Tom and other pastors throughout the land, throughout the world that are that are out there preaching the gospel, Lord, we pray that you would help them speak clearly, that you would do the work that you have promised to do, that as your word goes out, that it would not return void. And Lord, for ourselves, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in such a way that we make the gospel exciting, interesting, seasoned with salt. Lord, that our words would be gracious to those that that are, we're talking to. But Lord, help us to conduct ourselves wisely, to speak wisely towards unbelievers, knowing that you have appointed people in our lives that we can share with. And that by your grace, you will use those words that we share to change their hearts through the power of your Spirit. Lord, we do again just thank you so much for this time and pray that you would bless the remainder of our day. In Jesus' name, amen.